0: They're finding out now that no Christmas is coming. They're just waking up. I know just what they'll do. Their mouths will hang open a minute or two. Then the who's down in Whoville will all cry, Boo, hoo.
1: It's Manson Mitchell on the weekend with Gary Manson, Suzanne Mitchell. A double shot of good conversation with great guests to power up your day. Manson Mitchell, you're on the air. Thank you, Eric Kramer. Hi, everybody. Happy holiday season. We're really underway with that, are we not? I'm Gary Manson. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. Together, we are Manson Mitchell in your ears for the hour. Holiday time, yes, indeed. I'll tell you, that Grinch, he's a real SOB. There's no question about that. We need to bring some positive energy into this, and that's why we have on Saturdays, esteemed producer and captain at the board. I'm talking about tall guy, Nathan. Nathan Miller, how are you, sir?
0: Good morning, Gary and Suzanne. And it seems like Seattle is kind of catching on to our theme of little ghost stories here because it's really foggy outside and eerie.
2: Ooh, perfect for today.
1: Excellent. (laughs) If we were a movie, we'd be directed by John Carpenter. (laughs) I love this. We have a, a wonderful story to tell you. Actually, a number of stories that are going to be channeled through two of our favorite authors. They are co-authors of a wonderful book. I call them Tanya and Joey, sometimes the Medias. And increasingly, that's all you have to say about these folks in order for people to understand who they are, what they're about and the wonderful connections they have in the paranormal and ghost research community. They are, in my opinion, the real deal they are esteemed because they are filled with integrity. They don't treat this lightly. It's not a joke to them. It is very serious business. And at the same time, there's room for good humor and compassion and camaraderie.
2: That's why we have them on now. How many times is this, Suzanne? I was trying to look it up, and I couldn't do it fast enough. But it's either five or six. Okay. Let's call it five. They've, they're starting to establish a track record. First what time was in 2018 when we met Tanya.
1: See, and now it's 2020, and yeah. they've been on this many times. I and mean, if that doesn't speak well for them, what does, Suzanne? That's right. In fact, say whatever you want, because I'm
2: hogging the microphone. Well, I'd like to introduce them and bring them on. Bad props. Tanya Medea, R-Y-T-R-M-T-L-M-T, is an author, Reiki master, medium yoga teacher, massage therapist, and certified hip- hypnotist who believes in the importance of cultivating and trusting your intuition. She has seen firsthand how practices such as yoga, meditation, and Reiki lead to a deeper awareness and understanding of the natural, intuitive abilities that we all possess. And for the past decade, she's been teaching others how to develop these life-enhancing skills. Her lifelong experiences with the paranormal and encounters as a medium have led her to state with surety that consciousness can survive the death of the physical body. She is frequently invited to investigate everything from private residences and cemeteries to retail stores and community centers and feels blessed to be called on so often to help others on their life journey. Joey Medea, when he's not investigating or writing about strange phenomena, is a screenwriter, playwright, novelist, actor, director, and escape room designer. He specializes in bringing true stories to the stage, page, and screen. His screenplay, The Man at the Foot of the Bed, has been a two-time official selection in a Beverly Hills Film Festival invitee. His novel series, The Stanton Chronicles, combines history, mystery, and the paranormal. He applies the skills of a story analyst and training in a variety of spiritual systems to his paranormal investigations and their most recent book together which we just got through reading cover to cover a couple days ago is roommates from beyond how to live in a haunted home which will be the subject of today's interview welcome tanya welcome joey thank you so much
3: we're thrilled to be here
1: We ran too long in those introductions, but it was great having you two with us today. (laughs) Everybody buy the book. (laughs) You are amazing people, and we're so delighted to number you in the rarefied air of friendships with those whom we have yet to meet face-to-face, but I swear we're going to do that sometime soon. You just both carry such lovely energy with you, even while you're going into dark, dank spaces to ferret out what may await you from the other side in another dimension. You're extraordinary people. Thank you so much,
3: and the feeling is mutual. Yes. We uh, talked
2: to the two of you about your um, last book, and, and you came on together about the haunting at the Webb Library in North Carolina. And one of the things that we've kind of been talking with both of you about ongoingly has been this idea of how to treat a haunting, how to treat ghosts and spirits, and how Gary has noticed, and we've talked about um, people doing it rather unethically at times, and perhaps, you know, creating more of a disturbance than was really needed, and so One of the things that Gary said, I want to talk to them about this absolutely right up front, is in this book, you have our paranormal bill of rights. And so, um, Gary, I don't know if you have a question or if you just want to open it up to them, but I know you said that is where you wanted to start today. Well,
1: thank you for that lead in, because when I read a page, page 207 in the book, our paranormal bill of rights. And I said, great, another case going to the Supreme Court. <laughs> We've seen enough of that. Right <laughs> See if you can line up about 18 attorneys general. We'll get this going. Hmm. Our paranormal bill of rights. I love the concept, and it seems that you have coined a phrase, Tanya and Joey, because ethics in the field of paranormal or parapsychological research is a hot-button issue. And I know that there's a lot of internecine warfare going on in the larger paranormal community, ghost research, and don't even get me started on UFOs. With (laughs) all of that going on, it seems like people who are willing to do their work pristinely or die trying, are rather few in number compared to those who want to get on TV, get their show produced, get it out there regardless of how they entertain people. Sometimes entertainment is working in contradistinction to the kind of real work that is less glamorous but more worthy as an investigation.
0: Wow. (laughs) (laughs) that that's very well put you know I was talking to a colleague just the other day and and he said the difference between you know what you're talking about that's very prevalent and what we're trying to do is going in I've really come to dislike the term ghost hunter or ghost hunting for the same reasons that we wouldn't like it if it's after witch hunter or witch hunting Um, we're not just trying to gather evidence. We're not just trying to gather data so that we can share that and say, oh, look, we saw a ghost. We heard a ghost. Tanya is immensely talented as a psychic medium. And her responsibility to her clients is huge. So that, that keeps us on the straight and narrow in and of itself. For Tanya to do the work she does that I believe is incredible, work um, and so important. We have a daughter who's been a psychic medium since she was four years old. Um, she was on our show two weeks ago, but not to exploit her, but simply to share the stories. So when we were writing this book, I said to Tanya, there really has to be out there some kind of guidance on how to do this work. Someone must have codified this. And as it turns out, no one has. I'm pretty good with internet searches if I'm wrong, someone tell me and we can you know we can combine our efforts that would be great and so we really started to go what how how can we make this work and tanya you want to talk about the fact that we respect the dead as much as we respect the living they're not they're not zoo creatures they're not curiosities or oddities they're as you say people without bodies
3: Exactly. You know, we started, uh, you know, with the investigations at the Web Library, we really noticed, um, unfortunately, a lot of people coming into investigations with the mindset of, um, as you said, it just being entertainment for them and and uh, feeling that they had certain entitlements in terms of how they would interact with uh, the ghost or just the energies um, at that location and you know that extends out of course to other investigators at other uh, locations. And for us it's really just about um, you know we're here to help, we're here to respect their sentient beings um, and we're trying to find out you know how to find commonality, how to navigate um, and help people on both sides of the veil. So that's just, you know, of the utmost importance to us.
2: Tanya, Joey, I love how you have organized this book, because as I said at the outset, Gary and I read every word of it. You kind of take people by the hand and, and go step by step in a way that I found so beautifully logical. And so, you know, obviously we can't go through the whole book in an hour, but just like from the beginning, you identify four stages of a haunting. And I don't know that I've seen that before. And so I, I thought, well, you know, people ought to know what stage that they're in. And that helps with everything else that's going to follow after that. So if one of you would, would talk about what those four stages are and, and kind of define them a little bit.
0: Right. So the first thing I want to say, in fairness, is uh, we did not invent these four stages, but they seem to come in the very narrow sliver of uh, exorcism. Um, That's kind of where they've developed the lead up to an exorcism. And I believe it was an issue of Fate magazine where where I was first introduced to them. So the four of them uh, is manifestation. Manifestation, you notice something in your home. Uh, Tanya and I believe that depending on how your frequency is tuned, how your energy is, uh, there are things that are manifesting constantly. Um, But when you get to the point, and we really stress in the book, when it's starting to manifest, the minute that it either engages you, where it's taking a good amount of your attention, or it's beginning to concern you or in any way disrupt your life, that's the time to do something about it. That's the time to engage with it very early on. So like with any kind of intervention program where you're trying to not go to the crisis stage. And Gary, you'd probably agree that crisis stage is where the money is in entertainment. So that's not what Tanya and I are trying to do. We're trying to get people to ever get to the money moment, so to speak. Now, the second is infestation. These are things, whether it's poltergeist activity, door slamming, weird lights, uh, seeing ghosts and spirits, hearing disembodied voices, and what have you. If it becomes so prevalent that it's an everyday thing, it starts to be something that you're talking about all the time. Um, Now is really, really the time to do something about it. Because from there, you're gonna go to oppression and you're gonna go to possession. Now, thankfully, Tanya and I have very little experience with possession. Although we've witnessed a possession, we've also witnessed an attempted possession. Um, Not fun things. But let's go back one to oppression. We try to liken everything in our work to make the paranormal normal, to make the supernatural natural, to think in terms of our everyday living experience because we've all been doing it all our lives. Um, If you want to control someone, If you wanna get something out of them, if you're an energy vampire, you want to oppress them. The classic thing is in high school, when a guy wants to take advantage of a girl, you isolate them, you disrupt their normal habits, you call them in the middle of the night, Um, you make unreasonable demands on them, you interject your life in their way all the time. Any kind of dark entity that wants to feed on you, and I believe that that's what a dark entity is, It's some kind of consciousness that feeds on human suffering, energy, misery, anger. And so it will do things. And I believe one way that it'll do it is disrupting your sleep because clients who contact us will say, "Ah, I can't even sleep. I'm afraid to go to sleep. I don't want to go to sleep. My sleep is disrupted. So you want to catch it early you definitely want to catch it in infestation before it starts to take a physical and mental toll on you. And that's why those four uh, categories are so important.
1: And this is why in reading your book and Suzanne and I have discussed it in preparation for this show, it really is a compliment to the two of you that there's not a dull page in the book. That's what I love about it. You're, you're methodical, but you're not boring. Most of you know how to be compelling in making your case, and you're so thorough going in your research. A lot of people think, well, that seems rather dry and academic. Not when you're there, and then when you report these stories, you do it in a way that puts us where you were. That's what I really love about roommates from beyond. What occurs to me as you speak, Joey, is that if you go into a place that is reportedly haunted, you'll find out yay or nay based on the evidence, follow the trail of it, right? But there seems to be, and this is straight out of some of the horror movies we've seen, ghost-related movies going back how many decades, right? But if you go into a space that is haunted by earthbound spirits who like where they are, who don't care to cross over, you, the researchers, become the infestation to them. And now you don't know how you're going to be greeted. You may get some reaction on an EVP with your recording equipment. You may catch something visual, whatever it happens to be. When you go in to a space that is already occupied by a disembodied intelligence, doesn't it feel especially eerie or strange to you to be the ones who are essentially accused of invading the space of another?
3: That's a great question. I guess, for me, I've, I've not thought of it that way. I think of it more as, you know, we're, we're coming in, we're going to introduce ourselves, um, you know, and I do interact with um, spirit energies, the same way that I do with living people. So I introduce myself, sometimes they want to interact with me, sometimes they don't. um, But we are, very respectful and we will ask permission. Um, We're basically just trying to open up the lines of communication. Sometimes they're open to it, sometimes not so much, but um, more often than not, we have had success when we've been very respectful and just been patient and consistent about trying to form those communications in your book roommates
2: from beyond the subtitle is how to live in a haunted home and one of the things that is should be very obvious is that you speak from experience you have lived in haunted homes and just by way of example Tanya I thought maybe you could talk about your own story about living in Mesa Arizona and what happened there
3: Oh, yes, absolutely. That was uh, one of my first experiences as an adult. Um, I've been experiencing uh, since I was a child, but I didn't really have anything to this level of intensity until that home in Mesa, Arizona. So my boys were both very young. Uh, Jeremy was um, two. Daniel, I believe, was about um, seven. And we had just moved into the home and it was one of those homes that, um, you know, it just kind of feels off. You're not really quite sure what it is, but there's just something strange about it. Uh, Daniel started reporting almost right away that when he was there was a sub level uh, family room. And when he was down there on his computer, he would sense that he was being watched, he would see things out of the corner of his eye. And one uh, afternoon or evening, he saw a full bodied apparition of what he described as like a hag like woman walking sort of crossing the room. And, of course, when he turned to look at it full on, it wasn't there. The next really strange experience that happened was Jeremy at the time used to love to play with these little Superman action figures. Superman was his favorite. And I was just at the top of the stairs watching television and and Jeremy and Daniel were down in the family room. And I kept hearing Jeremy uh, and I thought he was playing. I couldn't quite make out what he was saying, and but I kept hearing him. And after a while, I realized that what he was saying, it was very muffled, but he was saying, help me, help me. So I thought, wait a minute, I don't know if he's playing. So I ran down there and he was lying face down, arms outstretched. He couldn't move. It was as if he was being held down. And of course, I picked him up quickly and he pointed to the top of the stairs and said, scary. And that was something that, that he had done before. He would point at the stairs and just say, scary, scary. So uh, I should mention, too, that the very first night that we moved into that house, I began having nightmares, just really bizarre nightmares about entities coming in through the bedroom window and just never quite felt comfortable in that in that home. And then the final straw was one afternoon Daniel was at school, Jeremy was taking a nap, and I was in the bathroom applying makeup, and I felt a breath at the same time that I heard this almost like maniacal cackle in my right ear. And that was it. I grabbed Jeremy, ran down the stairs, and as we ran down the stairs, we went through this This dense, it's the only way I can describe it was like a dense energy that was palpable. I could like feel it as we moved through it. Um, And it was right after that, that I began searching for another (laughs) place to live. And back in those days, you know, the internet wasn't widely used Um, there weren't paranormal shows yet so I had no idea I I kept thinking of Ghostbusters like if only there was an organization like that that I could contact uh, you know to get some assistance with this so um, I find it really funny and ironic that all these years later that's that's the kind of work that we're doing to help others.
1: You've done so much of it that's one of the things that we love about the book. You, you've been around a lot. You folks have lived in different places and you see a lot of the same things which is important to me because if you have if you have phenomena that you can record, that you can document and that you can categorize, now we're talking about a field of inquiry that loses some of the randomness. And I think that's what it takes to pull your research out of the realm of folklore. And even as I say that, I know that you're always going to have to deal with skeptics who simply won't accept the terms of your research. They won't validate in any way what you're reporting because it doesn't meet with their standards of rational, empirical observation.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And, and I think, again, Gary, that's that's not our concern because we're so practically oriented go going back to your question about us being the infestors um we know when that is happening um ghosts and spirits and other entities are really able to let you know in a hurry when you're not wanted we we went to one of our favorite exploration places about a month ago point pleasant west virginia home of the mothman on the ohio river and we went down to the so-called tnt area and We dragged all the equipment out. It was late at night. We made an effort to get there. And all four of the investigators agreed within five minutes that we were not wanted there that night. Now, if we needed to get footage or we were doing one of those 30-minute haunting challenges where you go into a super uh, super haunted place and the more activity and the braver you are, the more hits you're going to get, that's not what we do at all. Um, we want to help the living and the dead. so that makes it um, that makes it easy mm-hmm. um, to to avoid that kind of thing and and really if we're trying to help the living and the dead that has nothing to do with skeptics or scientists or um, you see what I mean?
1: I do see what you mean and I also think that past a point you don't need to worry about that whenever I've discussed, Everything from ghosts to UFOs to reincarnation, as a matter of fact, there are people who simply will not accept what I have to say. They may challenge me while others simply shrug it off. That's all fine. I like to talk to people who are serious about the research and being serious minded, they are looking for colleagues or at least fellow travelers in the field. Which I find far more satisfying an experience than debating with people who won't accept the terms of the debate or my version of events or a phenomenon, no matter what I say. Why do you want to beat your head against a brick wall, whether the wall is haunted or not?
0: Right.
3: Exactly. Right. Exactly. That's
0: that's that's true. So so when we and we deal with a minimum of it for whatever reason, and it could be that we are just not well known enough yet, but the amount of trolls and the amount of people who come to us and say, You're lying, you're faking, you're playing head games, you're con artists is, is minimal to none. Um yeah. and and you know, eventually that might be the price you know, we'll, we'll navigate that when it comes, but when you're talking about building a team, we need to thank you and Suzanne on air Yes. because the past several months, you have hooked us up with like minds and people who can extend our reach and extend our data because the big thing that we're doing now, and I have a book coming out next summer called parallels and patterns uh, my lifelong quest for answers And folklore is a part of it, interestingly enough, if you look at UFOs and fairies, or you look at there, there are these, you know, Rosemary Ellen Guiley, a mentor of ours, a mutual friend. Um, Rosemary said that there were overlaps with fairies and gin and shadow people. We believe that's right. So to take all this arguably anecdotal evidence. And, and that's mostly what we're collecting and what we're sharing is anecdotal evidence. But if you can analyze it as a storyteller, if you can find parallels and patterns um, in disparate cultures, in disparate times, but God darn it, everyone is talking about the same experience at its core, that is a credibility point, at least in my estimation,
1: I agree with you. And I also find that textual analysis is very important. And I, I'm already sorry for sounding so technical. But the fact remains that it it definitely helps you to make your case if, for example, you are recording a turn of phrase, something somebody who's not in the room to the naked eye is saying something that is not the current vernacular. Mm-hmm. It might be, more characteristic of the 19th century or the 18th century or the early 20th century but people don't talk that way anymore and yet this phrase is used you pick it up clearly and then you look into the history of the location and find that indeed people who lived there back in the day tended to speak in ways that would be recognizable to them, but not to people in our world today. I, always, I, just, I get the goosebumps when I encounter that kind of thing or read about it because it tells me that these places and the people who live there have a history that lives on and it's perfectly contextual for them to express themselves accordingly, even though it sounds strange to us in the 21st century. Right.
3: Exactly.
2: Let's go ahead and take our one and only break of this hour.
1: When we come back. Suzanne's gonna give these folks an opportunity to do their marketing pitch. They got stuff. They have a wonderful (laughs) show they'd like to tell you about. We'll let them do that for the moment. I want to remind everyone that their book is now out. It is selling like the proverbial hotcakes. That's still a 21st century phrase you could use. Roommates from beyond, how to live in a haunted home. There's not a dull page in this book. I love it and I'm sure you will too. Tanya and Joey Medea are guests of the hour. Give us a couple of minutes and we will be right back. We're Manson Mitchell, and you're tuned in to Seattle's home of alternative talk, AM 1150.
2: Staying connected with Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell is easy. Just go to MansonMitchell.com for the latest info on topics and guests.
1: Friend Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell on their Facebook pages and like the Manson Mitchell show page at facebook.com slash Mitchell.
0: She has several courses she is giving away to help you get your business working for you online. Yes, giving away. WordPress websites are her specialty, yet her technical skills go way beyond that. Check out her blog at terryloving.com or email her directly at terryterryloving.com. At That's terryterryloving.com. What is hope?
3: Hope to me was just that he would get to come home. I had no idea how hard it would be once he got back.
2: I wish she'd stop drinking so much. She thinks it's helping, but it's not. I hope she sees that soon.
0: I act like I don't care if he comes to my games,
2: but I hope he does. I used to hope he'd find happiness again. Now I hope our marriage makes it. I hope Grandpa will get help. He thinks it's too late, but it's not. With everything that he's going through, I hope he sees a counselor. I just want my brother back. I hoped he'd get help. Stop hoping things would get better on their own. He told me to stop asking. I didn't. Then one day, he asked for a ride. Hope is knowing there are other families just like yours, that the veterans they love got help and recovered. Go to MakeTheConnection.net and turn hope into action.
1: On Friday, Manson Mitchell welcomes psychic medium Carol Bromley, or as we like to call her, our Christmas Carol, and she will be giving spirit messages.
2: On Saturday, Josie Varga returns with great stories of afterlife communications from her books, Visits from Heaven, and Visits to Heaven.
1: Bringing you fascinating talk one hour at a time since 2007.
2: We are Manson Mitchell, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 on Alternative Talk, AM 1150.
1: Need help getting started with self-help? You came to the right place. Alternative Talk, 1150.
2: Welcome back to Manson Mitchell and our guests this hour, Tanya and Joey Medea, authors of Roommates from Beyond, How to Live in a Haunted Home. Joey and Tanya, if people want to connect with you, I know you have more than one website, maybe possibly, but what is your website? How can they connect? What are your books? Spill All, friends.
3: Sure. So right now, the website is undergoing a big overhaul. So if folks would like to find us, Facebook is the best place right now. Um, You can find Joey, just Joey Medea. Uh, I'm uh, Tanya Medea Medium on Facebook. Of course, you can find us uh, on our show page, which is Into the Outer Realms, also on Facebook. And we're also both on Instagram. Joey is on Twitter um, I'm on Twitter, but I don't use it. So don't look for me there. But you can find Joey on Twitter as well. When is
2: in, Into the Outer
3: Realms? Did I say that right?
2: Yeah. Yes, you did. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, when and where can people listen to that?
0: So that is every Thursday night at 7 p.m. And it's on our Facebook page. We stream live from there um, on into the Outer Realms.
3: And I, I should add, Uh, 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time.
0: Thank you.
2: Very
3: good.
1: I am very curious to know about this concept, which uh, I remember many, many years ago hearing about and It really freaked me out. And I'm curious to know if your research has turned up what might be called portable ghosts, I mean, people have moved out of houses because they can't handle the energy. It's too haunted. They can't take it anymore. They didn't succeed with an exorcism, and so they leave. Have you run into people who say, I moved uh, two towns away, and the same kind of stuff is happening in my new home. I think the ghost moved in with me.
0: Right, and and that happens because um, ghosts are, well, some are, some are free-floating, what we call pass-throughs. Um, And we counter quite a bit of those. But if you're in a house and it's gone to infestation and oppression, you're at the point where you have to move. They're either attached to the land, to the house, to an object in the house, which you may have very well put in your moving truck. Um, We've had it be everything from a doll uh, to a lamp to a hat to a fireplace that was rescued. We talk about this in the book, a fireplace that was rescued from a house that had burned down. And the woman uh, who was attached to the marble fireplace is living in the home with everyone else, not making a fuss, Mm -hmm. but she's with her uh, fireplace. So that's why um, having skilled investigators who can help you unravel what is going on could save you that heartbreak Uh, Because maybe you didn't need to leave your house. Maybe you just needed to sell that antique porcelain doll or get rid of that rocking chair or something like that. So Mm -hmm. so great point. Um, Another reason to understand what's going on.
3: Yes. Yeah, go ahead. And I just wanted to add, uh, my favorite example of something like that is um, someone who recently came to me, got a reading, and I was seeing a little boy, with her, and he looked to be from early uh, 20th century, and the way I described him, her face, her jaw just kind of dropped. And she had just moved from a dorm; she was going to college in Shepherdstown, West Virginia. And in her dormitory building, there is legend of this little boy haunting the dorms. And he was so attached to her that he actually followed her home. And every time I do a reading for her. I see him. And I'll describe, I'm like, he's showing me that uh, he's been, you know, moving your book around and he's showing me this and he's showing me that. And it's, she's always amazed that yes, those things have been happening. And she's perfectly content. Um, you know, that's a little boy, if he wants to move on, he's not ready to, and she does not feel bothered at all. She thinks it's sweet that she has this little companion with her.
2: You know, um, one of the things that you're talking about here is, um, you know, Joey was saying it could be a person, it could be a thing, it could be the land, and and also what you talk about in the book is having a certain intention when you have a haunting as to what you would like the outcome to be, because not every outcome is the same. You may not always be getting rid of the spirits that are that are in your house and there may be cases where you definitely want to get rid of them. It seemed like you had quite the variety of that type of thing going on in one of your stories, generations of hauntings in a multi-family Victorian where you had good spirits, bad spirits, things that were connected. And and so I thought maybe that would be a good thing to talk about in the second half of the show. So who would like to start with that?
0: Right so Tanya has pointed to me so I will take up the mantle <laughs> and get us get us started so we have these little systems worked out now after doing this for years um so we got called in it was an unusual case because normally when we get a direct phone call or we get a um the word is escaping me when someone suggests that you do someone something for a referral thank you um i'm already thinking ahead to how to tell this story efficiently so we um in this case it was we're in town and these people need help because it was already in oppression Mm -hmm. there were some young men that were living in the house who weren't sleeping one of them had been in a sleep study and had been recently i think 16 17 years old he had just been uh prescribed sleeping pills so to us this is wow we need to take advantage of this so we go in cold and we do the living room interview and we try to gather as much information but as we're doing so all these ghosts and spirits are popping up making Mm -hmm. themselves known to tanya um that house was really interesting um i'm so glad you brought this one up suzanne and we'll we'll try to be efficient so we can really kind of encapsulate all the different facets What was interesting was that land had been hotly contested in a family hundreds of years ago. Um, There was a man who built the house. He was very prominent in his community. He was involved with the church and there was a power struggle. And the church elders made it known in the town that he was a homosexual at a time where this was not at all okay. And he told Tanya that indeed, he was not, this was a, this was a frame up right, job. Right. Um, so he ended his life in shame and despair. There had been a suicide on the property. Uh, his daughter's husband uh, was cutting down trees and a tree fell on him. He died in the living room. Now this poor daughter, she's lost her husband. She's lost her father. And she's trying to hang on to the house, which has been bought literally with blood mm-hmm. as well as figuratively. And she has to walk, Correct me if I'm wrong, Tanya, 17 17 miles miles Mm -hmm. to the courthouse each way because her uncle, her father's brother, was trying to take the house away from her. Now, are these ghosts and spirits who have an entitlement to that space? Yeah. But should they be disrupting a living family who's living there? No. It's just like a border dispute, a fence dispute between two neighbors in a suburban development. They both have right to be there but they can't be throwing eggs at each other's house or having each other's electricity shut off or making threats. Um, Meanwhile, the living family is in crisis. The daughter's going through a divorce, her and her three children and everything she owns Mm -hmm. are now in this Victorian home with uh, grandma and grandpa who are very conscientious people And their house is in total disarray. Again, literally, figuratively, they are in crisis. So we spent several hours and did two visits Mm -hmm. to try to tease out what was what and what was going on. And Tanya, what was keeping those boys up?
3: So... When we went to the second floor, as Joey mentioned, I was encountering a lot of different ghosts on the first floor and then going up into the second floor, I immediately got drawn to um, a middle bedroom and I didn't know whose room it was, um, but I was able to see immediately that there was an elderly woman. Uh, It seemed to me that she had dementia and she was keeping uh, someone who slept in that room awake. I could just see her poking someone while they were sleeping. And um, so that's when it came out that the young man was undergoing a sleep study, hadn't been able to sleep. So we did some consulting with spirit guides and we um, talked with the family. Joey did a a prayer and a cleansing and then we came back and uh, I was able to cross that woman over. And subsequently, the boy was able to sleep.
0: Yeah.
1: What do you think the essential energy or the the initiative is that to just borrow a phrase does the trick we're not talking about parlor magic in any sense there but what is it that you find works in these situations where something needs to change
3: Mm -hmm.
1: and you may have heavy resistance a lot of incoming from uh, the spirits of people who like where they are they're still tortured by their past they're still living it even mm-hmm. though they're no longer in the body, but you can't tell them that because it's very real to them. What do you find beyond the, the essential element of compassion that in a technical sense, what do you feel you need to do in order to clear a house or to create a kind of peaceful environment those, so that everyone understands reality from a common perspective and gets on with their soul's journey?
0: Right. Great question. So I think there's two fundamental things. Um, One is to calm everything down. That is our number one job when we come in to the living, to let them know that we don't think they're crazy, that we want to listen to their story. And that is our desire to help them and not exploit them. Interestingly enough, Gary and Suzanne, the conversation is almost identical with the ghosts and the spirits. Now, There are rare cases where you have a dark entity that's attacking. Then you want to go in with your tools. You want to go in with your white light protection. You want to go in with your cleansing tools. You want to go in with your prayer or your scripture or whatever text embodies your intent to get rid of this thing because it is a true home invader. Mm -hmm. So the moment that your neighbor breaks into your house, there's no more negotiating. There's getting this neighbor out of your house that doesn't belong there. So that's the first thing is to calm everyone down. The second thing is to try to find out what everything wants, um, what everyone living and dead want. So we, yeah, well, Tanya is a medium. It's the same root as the word mediator. We are mediating between the living and the dead. Um, That's where I think our own personal experience really comes in handy. So there was Frank who lived here with us in Levittsburg, who didn't like our modern technology, who quite frankly didn't really like me personally, I don't think,
3: I didn't based much. on some
0: <laughs> of the names he called me. And he didn't like the fact that our daughter Jolie um, had um, Japanese material um, in her room, fans and, and different paraphernalia, um, because he was a World War II veteran. U.S. World War II veteran. So he had reasons he didn't like us. Um, We needed to negotiate with him. And it took over a year, Mm -hmm. I think, right, Tanya? Mm -hmm. Um, So those are the two things you wanna do. You wanna calm it down. You wanna try to get a negotiation going. Let's go back to the Victorian house. Tanya, um, with the help of some spirits, crossed over the woman with dementia. No other ghosts or spirits were crossed over in that house. But there was discussion with them. There was negotiation about cohabitation. So so that's really the goal. So it concerns us just really quickly when some amateur hunters and I use that term for them because that's what they consider themselves hunters. Amateur hunters say, all right, we're all revved up. We got the equipment that you guys use and we got this phone call and there's this woman and her cat. And they saw this spirit and they think it's the guy who owned the house previously, but they're freaked out. So we're going to banish it into the void. Mm -hmm. You want to take over from there on that?
3: (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, it's again, it's about communication, right? So finding out why are they there? Do they have an attachment to the place? You know, what can you do to help? Um, maybe you can cohabitate peacefully if they're not ready to move on and if so what is what is that like and I understand that everyone feels the way that we do we're quite comfortable encountering and engaging with um, those who've crossed over not everybody feels that way and sometimes people are just incredibly um, unnerved by that but just doing whatever you can to me the key element Uh, is always, as Joey said, calm it down. But it really has to do with energy, because we're talking about energy. When consciousness leaves the physical body, it's simply energy. So when somebody is um, in a state of anxiety, or fear, or um, whatever it is, they're, They're contributing that energy to the environment that's surrounding them. And it could escalate, it could serve to escalate the activity of what's going on. So when we talk to folks, if they're experiencing a high level of paranormal activity, one of the first things we'll ask is like, what is your daily routine? What are the things that you're engaging in? A lot of times we'll find that people are really hooked on these paranormal shows or even horror shows. And that's the energy level that they're putting into the environment of their home. So we'll often and say, just, first of all, stop watching those shows. Um, and not because, you know, not because we're saying that people shouldn't watch those shows, but that's the energy that they're putting and it's creating that level of anxiety for them. And then I'll always talk about, you know, what kind of daily practice do you have, whether it's a, a meditation practice, but taking care of your energy body exactly the same way that we take care of our physical body. So we clean and, and take care of our physical body on a daily basis. And we need to do that with our energy body as well. And we can do that through meditation. We can do it through prayer. We can do it through, you know, the foods we eat exercise that we engage in. So to me, that, that's a very key element.
2: One of the things that came out of our reading your book, Roommates from Beyond, was that instance that you just mentioned about this woman who had dementia and another instance where um, a young men had committed suicide and the ghost was very depressed and very confused. And I talked this out with Gary a little bit, saying that I thought that once you uh, crossed over, you didn't have that going on. And so what our conversation was about was these uh, spirits have not really crossed into the light. And so they carry with them the problems that they had when they were on this side in a body, but yet. They, they haven't given up those personalities or the things that were going on with them when they're in the spirit world, but haven't really gone into the light because I did hear from a medium that people who have dementia on this side don't have it once they have gone into the light. The things that might create us either physically disabled or mentally disabled in some way Uh, vanish when you are completely crossed over does that make sense with the with what you know jives with you
3: tanya absolutely that's absolutely been my experience as well so and i've also noticed like in in the uh, example of the young man that you mentioned who took his own life um, i was seeing uh, gunshot you know to the head. Um, he had taken his own life with a handgun in that manner. And I think that caused confusion for him. I've noticed, um, In cases where individuals have died of, you know, either a sudden accident or some kind of violent trauma, it's not always the case, but often the case that they're just confused um, and and they don't realize that they've crossed over yet. Uh, People with dementia as well. I feel like that was the case with the woman in the Victorian home. She had not realized that she had crossed over. And it is uh, my experience that when I'm communicating with loved ones for clients, when they've crossed over the way that they appear to me, um, sometimes they'll come through the way that they looked, you know, when they pass just as a initial sort of clue as to who it is, but then how they really prefer to look is generally what they look like in the prime of their life, the happiest time in their life.
0: Yeah. I just want to interject real quick. Tanya, and I make a distinction between ghosts and spirits. Um, it may not be universal, but it's not arbitrary, and it helps with this conversation, I think, a lot. A ghost is an earthbound spirit that has not crossed over into the light. In our experience, ghosts do retain their physical, mental. They may feed on an addict because they're still, um, they are still crave that addiction. Um, once you've become spirit, once you've crossed over into that non-earthly plane, then yes, that's where Tanya experiences they look young they look so so there are levels I and I think it cor- in some ways it corresponds with the religious ideas of purgatory heaven and hell I think an earthbound spirit is in what you know growing up Catholic we thought of as purgatory it's a place where they need to work things out and that's where we as responsible investigators and mediators could really help.
2: Mm-hmm. In our waning minutes, there's something that I feel is really important to say about your book. And that is part four, practical matters, what to do when your home is haunted. There is an entire section of your book, which gives very, very practical down to earth advice about what it is that you can do to um, rid yourself of a haunting or you know, catch it and deal with it in whatever manner you're going to deal with it. Because as you said, you don't always get rid of those ghosts. Sometimes people want to keep them. One of the things that caught our attention in this, this section is to watch the behavior of your pets. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I thought, well, isn't that interesting? Because, you know, we have heard before about animals noticing what's in a room that can't be seen. So how would you use the behavior of pets when you're dealing with a haunting?
3: Well, oftentimes people will notice uh, that their pets are seem to be looking at something that, that they themselves don't see, but they're clearly looking at something. Dogs will often bark or growl. Cats oftentimes will hiss uh, or just act strangely. Um, so just noticing what their behavior is like. Uh, they're they're just highly sensitive. We talk in the book about how cats' uh, brainwaves are always in alpha state. So they're always in this trance-like in-between state. And that's why they're highly psychic. They can pick up, you know, cats know, anyone who's a cat owner knows if, if you're not feeling well, your cat will come and cuddle up in your lap and begin to purr. And there's been studies that show that that's actually very healing um, for the human body. So, uh Yeah, animals are just highly intuitive. They pick up on these um, energies, these subtle energies easier than we do.
2: And they can distinguish one from another, good from bad, right?
3: Yes. Yes, that seems to be the case because um, there's oftentimes they'll be noticing someone. Maybe it's, you know, maybe it's your aunt who your favorite aunt who's crossed and she's come to visit you and your pet's not going to, you know, bark or hiss necessarily. They're going to look. And notice that there's someone there. Um, and conversely, if there's someone there whose energy is vibrating on a lower frequency, someone who's maybe a little more malevolent, uh, then they'll certainly act differently toward that energy source.
1: I did wanna ask you while we have a couple of minutes, are you comfortable at this point using various or one particular ghost box or boxes? I would love to get my hands on one of those. Some people tell me, ah, that's just like a game, like an app that brings out ghosts on your iPhone. And other people say, no, no, this is a tool of technology there that is late breaking as ghost technology goes and well worth using. What have you concluded?
0: So um, we were recommended the PSB 11 uh, ghost box. And I love that. I've been using it for five years now. Uh, you can turn off the radio antenna completely. It seems to be reliable. And that's very much analog. It's still cycling through like the earliest Frank boxes. It's still cycling through AM, FM frequencies. You can run it on two channels. For $128, not sound like a commercial, but since you asked, um, that is my absolute spirit box of choice. Now, going to the digital apps, I have to say that I am... Highly skeptical to cynical because we don't know what the mechanism is, and some of them use uh, a word library that they draw from. Tanya seems to have better success with some of the digital apps. We use Ghost Radar, mm-hmm. is you brother- know what? Let's we'll take, take that go. up
1: next time. We are okay, running out okay. Of time, sorry, but I'm sorry, that's okay. It's going to be the, the glorious ghost boxes next time we get <laughs> together, and we will. It. The book is Roommates from Beyond, How to Live in a Haunted Home. Tanya and Joey Medea, welcome anytime on the air and in our home, folks. We love discussing all of this with you, and we appreciate the friendship that we are developing. Thanks for being with us today. Thank Thank you you both.
2: All right. Coming up next. Coming up next. Jupiter Rising with Eileen Grimes.
1: We'll be back next Friday, 10 a.m. Pacific on AM 1150 with A Christmas Carol. Until then, have a great weekend and week ahead, everyone.